Good morning. We're going to continue our series through the Sermon on the Mount today. Um, I've been thinking uh, about my dad. My, I know next Sunday's Father's Day. Um, but I've been thinking about my dad a lot. My dad died 18 years ago. And uh, I've, I've been thinking uh, about uh, what kind of dad he was and what, what kind of the way he influenced me. Um, he, uh, some, a lot of you know my, my parents were immigrants who came to this country. I uh, grew, uh, grew up in Lowell, uh, part of a kind of immigrant community in Lowell. And uh, um, it was a tough neighborhood. We grew up in a tough neighborhood. And uh, a lot of the kids that I grew up with are now dead or in jail because uh, it was just what happened to people in that community. But it didn't happen to our family. I have three younger brothers, and uh, uh, we were kept out of a lot of stuff. I look back and I know now that it was the grace of God. Didn't know it then, but it was the grace of God. But it was the grace of God often working through my parents. The grace of God working through my father. And one of the things my father used to say to me when I was growing up, he said, I don't know how many times he said it. It's got to be in the tens of thousands. He would say to me, he said, you're a Greek and you're a soilless. And what he meant by that was, remember who you are. Do not let anybody else tell you who you are. Do not let anybody else forge your identity. You are a Greek and you are a soilless. And that means something. It means you live with integrity. It means you live with passion. It means you live not just for yourself but for other people. That's what my dad modeled for me. He worked hard. My dad worked two, three jobs a week. Um, my mom worked really hard too because uh, they didn't have, they didn't speak English or not very well. They had, you know, my mom tended sheep and goats up in the mountains in Greece. That's what she knew. So when she came to the U.S., it was slow income jobs. They worked hard to make a way for their family. Uh, and uh, there are times when I was tempted to do stuff, get into, I got into a fair, I got into a fair amount of trouble on my own, but a lot less than I would have. And it wasn't because I had common sense. It was because I knew it would hurt my dad. And so there was a part of me all along that kept me out of some things because I just didn't want to hurt my dad. And because I did have a sense of what it meant to be a Greek and a soilless, the way my father defined it. It was watching over my brothers, protecting them, keeping them, uh, which meant that I had responsibility to do that for myself as well. And I wasn't always perfect at it. I did, as I said, get into a fair share of trouble. But we made it through. You are Greek and a soilless. Live who you are. I think that's what Jesus is talking to us about in the passage we're going to be going through this morning. It's from Matthew 5, chapters 13 to 16. From chapters, from verses basically three and on, he's been telling us about what kind of people we are. 
That's what the Beatitudes are about. What kind of people we are as a result of being brought into relationship with God. I'll unpack that a little bit. But on the basis of that, then Jesus says, okay, now, this is who you are. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You, you are the light of the world. A town, a city built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So this morning, I want to unpack this passage. I, w- I want to lay out what it means, what it says, what it means, what it says to us about our world and how we are meant to live out our lives in this world. And I'm going to do that by trying to answer four basic questions and then a fifth question about how we might respond. And those questions are in your bulletin uh, as we go through kind of an outline. So the questions, who are you? And second, why are you? Third, what are you? Fourth, when are you? All these things we'll be talking about. And then picking up on the themes of salt and light, where does our city and world need salt and light right now? And how can we, as we follow Jesus, through following Jesus, be that salt and light? How can we provide the salt and light that our city and world needs? So, who are you? And the short answer to this is that you are blessed people. You are blessed people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be filled. He continues. Jesus is talking to Beatrice about the fact that you are blessed people. You're blessed people. You're truly well-off people. You are people on the right path. You're in the right place. You are blessed. You're the most blessed people on earth because God has welcomed you. He's received you. He's taken you into his own family. God has made himself your father. He's made you his sons and daughters. You are blessed people because you have been forgiven, you have been filled, you have been indwelt by God in his spirit. You made heirs of, you've been made heirs of God's kingdom in the midst of your brokenness and failure and pain. You're all these things. You're blessed because you are the church. You are 
the community of God's people. You're not in this by yourself. You're not alone and isolated, but you are the people of God come together, the community of God's people, God's beloved people. Brought together, called by God, filled by God, equipped by God, sent out by God to fulfill the mission of God. You're the followers of Jesus, who's the greatest leader, the only savior the world has ever seen. And you are Jesus' followers. His physical and visible presence on the earth. You, we, are blessed people. Now the question then comes up, why? Why are you blessed people? Why are we blessed people? You are blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed to be a blessing. In the very um, foundation of the creation of the world, human beings were made to be a blessing. When the first human beings were made and filled by the Spirit of God, they were given a mandate to fill the earth, to cultivate the earth, to steward the earth, to bear fruit. They were called, even before the fall of humankind, to work toward the kind of unfolding of the goodness of God's creative DNA, if you will, throughout the universe. Adam and Eve were created by God, blessed by God, called by God to be a blessing to all that would unfold. They were called to be a blessing in all that, in, in the process of it all unfolding, in the helping of it all to unfold. The same thing applies to us. Even after the fall, the call of God has not been taken away. The mission of God has not been taken away. So when God, for example, calls Abram in Genesis 12, he says, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. And you will be a blessing to all the nations. When God called Israel as his chosen people, he didn't call Israel as his chosen people just for themselves. He called them to be a blessing, to be a revelation, if you will, to, to kind of show to the, whole, to the nations around them what it means for God to rule in, a, in their midst. They are blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing because God is good. Now, how many of you know that God is good? Amen. Yeah, God is good. And he wants to share his goodness. He's full of grace, he's full of love, he's full of truth. His blessings and his generosity overflow to us. And they keep being poured into us so that they can flow out of us, overflow out of us to all those around us. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing because all of us need God. How many of you know you need God? Yeah, 
You need God. The world needs God. Your friends, your neighbors, your family members, your, your workmates, your classmates, they need God. Your enemies, the people who hurt you or shame you or persecute you or hate you, they need God too. As we bless others, they begin to see the God in us. As they experience God's blessing to them through us, they begin to turn to God. They begin to know God. They begin to be transformed by God. They experience love and grace and forgiveness and welcome and hospitality and healing and salvation. They start to feel hope and no hope. They experience peace. They become whole. And as we begin to bless others, as we bless others, we begin to see the God in us more clearly too. So we, we're blessed to be a blessing, and as we're blessing, we become more blessed because we start to see God more and more clearly. We start to experience God more and more deeply. We start to reflect God more and more clearly. That is such an incredible thing. We become more and more like Jesus in character when we live like Jesus. When we take the blessings of God and allow them to keep flowing through us to others, we become more and more blessed. We become more and more like Jesus. That is so cool. That is just so cool. Now, what does that mean? That's what Jesus starts to get at when he says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt in our culture, it just doesn't mean much, right? I mean, we have salt everywhere. You know, it costs like, you know, 80 cents. You know, you can get a, it it just, it's so available that it's not valued, right? But in the ancient world, salt was like gold. In fact, it was more precious than gold because you actually needed salt in ways then that you don't need quite as much now. Salt was used in the ancient world as a preservative and as a seasoning. Now we know what it's like for salt to be a seasoning, right? Um, you know, Job, Job uh, you know, food is bland without a little bit of salt. Job cries out in chapter six, is tasteless food eaten without salt? And the obvious answer is no, you need salt. Because, you know, without salt, food is just bad. You know, a little salt makes a lot of food taste better. But in the days before refrigeration, Salt was more than just something that made food taste better. It was something that made food last. It made food something that you could actually take from one place to another. Salt was a preservative. 
So for example, fish that were caught in the Sea of Galilee would be salted, they'd be packed in salt, and they'd be sent to market in Jerusalem. And if there was no salt, Jerusalem had no fish. The salt kept the fish from spoiling. And that's the image that Jesus uses to describe his followers. You are the salt of the earth. You add distinctiveness and flavor to life on earth. You help to preserve human society. You keep culture from spoiling. What Jesus is saying is, the world around you is putrefying. It's just, it's tasteless. It's, it, it needs salt to be preserved. It needs salt to have any real flavor. He's saying that the people of this world are desperately hungry, but can't find anything soul-satisfying to eat. There's plenty out there, but it doesn't meet the needs of their soul. He's saying, you, the people of God, are the only people who can stem the world's injustice, the world's decay, the world's brokenness. He's saying that you preserve the goodness, the beauty, the truth, the justice, the righteousness of the world as you demonstrate the love and the grace of Jesus. That's who you are. You are the salt of the earth. There's this interesting kind of image that comes up in uh, uh, Second Kings where Elisha is with Elijah and Elijah's ready to go. He's being called by God and he gets called by God and Elijah, Elisha becomes the, the prophet. And Elisha is in Jericho, and the people of Jericho come and say, things are pretty good here except for one thing. The water is just bad. It's just bad. And Elisha says, okay, give me a bowl, put some salt in it. He takes, he's given the bowl with the salt, and he puts it, he throws it into the water, and the water becomes pure. He says, this water from from this point on will remain pure. There's a sense in which what Jesus is saying is you are the salt of the earth and I'm throwing you into the earth and whatever you touch starts to become pure and it stays pure as you remain salt. See, the part of, the, the part of what you, we need to get out of this when he says you are the salt of the earth, salt in and of itself is useless. It's only useful when it's applied to something else, when it's applied to meat, for example, to preserve meat, or when we allow our lives to get close to the lives of other people, when we draw close to them, engage them, so that the life of Christ, the purity of Christ, the goodness of Christ that's in us touches them. It only helps them. It only helps them. We can only help them when we touch them, right? 
Jesus uses another metaphor. He says, you are the light of the world. Now, this is not the first time that this idea shows up in Scripture. God in uh, Isaiah 42 says, I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. A light for the Gentiles. God has said to Abram, before he was Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing and you will be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. So right from the beginning, from creation actually on, God meant that the whole earth would be blessed. And he, it would be blessed through Abraham and his, Abraham and his descendants. It would be blessed by Israel. It was never just about Israel. It was never just kind of a, this small, set-apart society kind of closed off from the rest of the world. In fact, uh, God says to Isaiah in chapter 49, it is far too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. This is a messianic prophecy. He's talking about what Jesus will be doing. Far too small thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that that you might bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, look, my world is dark. The people are lost in their darkness. They're confused. They are, they're just confused. They don't know how to live. They don't know what's good for them. They hide from me. They sin. They, they run scared. They keep fighting against one another because they don't know what else to do. He says to, he says to Israel, I want you to be light. I want you to be truth. I want you to be peace to this world. A light not just for yourself, but for the Gentiles as well, for the whole world. I want you to be blessed, to be a blessing. This was God's vision for Israel. This vision was lost by Israel in Jesus' day. They lost who they were, what they were, what they were supposed to be about. And Jesus came, part of the reason Jesus came was to renew the call to be the people of God. And he did that by doing something different. He created the church. And he brought Israel and he brought the Gentile world, the nations together and formed a new people. Paul talked about that a couple weeks ago. A new people, the one people of God. Jesus is saying to his church, listen, you're the light of the world. The world's dark. 
people of this world don't have light to see the way home. They can't see the light of Christ. They cannot see their own true state. But you, you're the people of God. You can see. And you can reveal. You have my light in you. You can reveal light to the people around you. You're the only people who can reveal light to the people around because you have, you have God's light. And you can speak that, you can reveal that, and impress that into the world's darkness and blindness and lostness. You can do that because that's who you are. That's what you are. Jesus also says, you, the church, are the city on a hill. You're a city on a hill. You are meant to be seen. He's saying that the people of this world harassed, they're helpless, they're isolated, they're imprisoned. They, they need a place of refuge. They need a place of rest. They need a place of healing and restoration and peace and hope. They need a place where they can become home. That's what the church is, a place where people can come and find life and become whole. And people come when they see us, when we are a city and a hill, visible to them. Visible, not just hiding in little little nicks and corners of our neighborhoods, but visible. A city on a hill. When we live in a way that, when we intentionally live in a way that we are seen for what we are. I was at a campaign event Friday night for Sarai Rivera. Sarai is a city councilor. She's running for re-election in District 4. Um, I don't know if any of you know Sarai at all, know much about her politics. Uh, Whether you agree with some of her political positions or not, there's one thing that's abundantly clear. Sarai loves God. She loves God. So she's at this political event. She's for her, kind of launching her re-election campaign. And there are all kinds of people there. Uh, Jim McGovern's there. Uh, Tim Murray's there. Joe Petty's there. A bunch of people there. Uh, politicians, the mayor of the city, you know. All these politicians, uh, community activists, uh, other folks are there. It's kind of a cool community. And she held it at her house. Uh, uh, she lives pretty near Clark University uh, in the main, kind of the main South area. She, so she's holding, has it in her house. And she stands up and she says, she says okay, some things I, I want to say. I want to say, I want to start by saying thank you. I am so grateful. I want to say thank you. And the first person I want to say thank you to is God. She said, you know, everything I am Everything I stand for, everything I have, everything I'm trying to achieve, everything I've done, all that is because of God in my life. I am so grateful. I want to say thank you to God. I know who I am, and I know whose I am, and I am grateful to God. She said that with politicians there and media people there, and people in the neighborhood, people from variety of, I'm not sure what their religious backgrounds were, but she wanted to be clear 
that she was doing what she was doing, not out of ego, but out of calling. She was doing it because she was blessed by God and God had put in her a heart to be a blessing to the people of her community. She was being a light. She was letting her light shine intentionally, humbly, powerfully. This is what God wants us to regain as his church. We are the salt of the earth. We are a light in the darkness. We are a city set in the hill. And God is saying, let your salt touch people's lives. Let your community presence be seen like a city on a hill. Let your light shine so that the world may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. That's what he's saying. He, he, Israel had been given this call and they kind of lost it. You, those of you who are here when we're doing our series on Jonah, you saw how Jonah lost it. He did not want to see good come to the nation of Assyria, so he ran from God. Israel, again and again and again, forgot who they were and what they were, why they were, and they got lost, and they got divided, and they got messed up. One of the cool things about the Convoy of Hope this past Saturday wasn't just that there were 40 churches involved, but there were 40 churches from around the city. They represented full diversity of the city. They came from the poor neighborhoods and from the affluent neighborhoods of the city. There were Anglo churches and there were Latino churches. There were uh, African churches and there were African American churches. There were Vietnamese churches. There were you know, I mean, it, start, it started to look like what the church will look like in Revelation 5. Every tribe and tongue and language and nation worshiping before the throne of God. We were coming together to worship God by serving him together. It was beautiful. Just beautiful. I, it was beautiful. That's what we're called to be. You remember in the, what Jesus says in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. It says in Acts 1, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth. All peoples. Now, Israel lost that. And sometimes the church loses that too, frankly. One of the reasons that New England is the least church region in our country is because over time, the church in New England has lost its calling, its vision, its sense of who and what we are. But God hasn't abandoned the church. He keeps calling us back to him and to his mission. 
and he keeps sending forth his spirit. One of the things that we have that Israel didn't have is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You remember what uh, God said through the prophet Jeremiah, the days of coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. I will put my law in their hearts, in their minds, and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. He says a similar thing in Ezekiel. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees, decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That promise was fulfilled. That promise is fulfilled. It happened on the day of Pentecost, and 2,000 years later, it continues to happen. God puts his spirit in his people so that we can be his people in the world for the sake of the world to the glory of God. We are the salt of the earth. We are a city on a hill. We are the light of the world because God is in us. His salt, his light, his revelation is in us. It's not something we have to manufacture. We have it. It's in us. We have it. We are it. Thanks be to God. Now, so what do we do with all this that God has put in us? How do we, how do we stay salty? How do we be light? church over the, over the centuries has had various kind of ways of understanding and living in culture. Too many times the world has, the church has looked at the world, said, oh, the world's good. We're going to become like the world. That's accommodating to the world. There have been times when we say, no, the world is bad. It's just really bad. So we're just going to pull out of the world, let them go to hell. That's safe for a while, but you know what happens when you let the, you know what happens when you let the world go to hell? You live in hell, because you live in the world. You cannot escape the world. Sometimes the church just says, hey, the world belongs to me, the world is mine, and we just try to impose our culture on them. We try to impose morality in ways that just feels oppressive to people. We need to be different than the world. We need to maintain our distinctiveness. We need to have our own standards. But we need to recognize that just like Israel couldn't keep the law, 
apart from the Spirit coming to them. Other people, apart from the Spirit of God, won't care about our morality or be able to live out our morality. So we can't impose it. We have to expose it and invite them into it by inviting them into the presence and the power and the beauty and the life of Jesus. We need to declare what we see to be right and true, but we can't jam it down people's throats. We need to do what's right and true so that they can see what it looks like in practice. But we can't be like the Pharisees, do as I say, not do as I do. called to be in the world, not of the world, in the world, not of the world, for the sake of the world, to the glory of Jesus. So that means we need to, be, we need to stay connected to Jesus. You remember what Jesus said in John, 13, uh, uh, John 15, abide in me and I will abide in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's really true. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. We need to stay connected, close, tight with Jesus. But as we're doing that, we need to start getting close, tight with other people. We need to be people who reach out to and embrace other people. We need to be willing to get into the depths of their life, the mess of their life sometimes. That's how the salt that is in us gets onto them as well and into them. We need to let our light shine, and Jesus, the way you do that is by doing good deeds. We do good deeds. We do them in the name of Jesus. It's not, we don't do good deeds so people can look at it and say, hey, look at them, look at how cool they are. None of that. It's, there's no ego in this. There's no... Um, sort of desire for approval in this. It's simply so that people can see the goodness of Jesus. Right? We let our light shine so people can see the goodness of Jesus and we let people know it's Jesus who's at work in us and through us. And we say, listen, Jesus is for you too. Jesus, Jesus cares about you. He's got space for you and his family come. I'm just telling you what I'm I'm just telling you what I know. I'm just doing for you what I'm experiencing. You can experience to come. Come. It, you know, come. We need to be people who get out of ourselves and get into people's lives. We need people to stop hiding who we are. I don't know why, but all of us have this part of ourselves, there's, there's something in us that makes it hard for us to say who we really are, who makes it hard for us to say we belong to Jesus sometimes. It's part of what I appreciated about Sarai. She was bold to say to whom she belonged. We need to be bold because the world needs us to be bold. And because it's part of the way 
we express our identity with Jesus and our love for him. So we're soft and we're light when we engage the people around us, when we love them and serve them, when we get close enough to them that they trust us and they allow us to rub off on them. And when we let them know that it's Jesus who's really doing all this for them. Now, what does this look like for our city? How are we as Journey Church trying to be soft and light and visible in our city, a city on the hill? How can we do that? Well, part of it means getting to know our neighbors. We want to get to know the neighbors. As, when we, as we move uh, down the street a bit to, to 25 Belmont Street, there's a whole neighborhood around there who do not know Jesus. Many of them do not know Jesus. Some of them had exposure to the church, and it's, you know, some of them had good experiences, some not so good, but we want to start, to be, we want to start praying already for the people in that neighborhood and asking God to help us to get to know them. That's part of what we can be doing even now before we get there. We want to know their faces. We want to know their names. We want to know their needs. We want to know their hopes. We want to know, we want to know their strengths. God has put strengths in that community. We want to know that too. We want to let them get to know us as friends, people who care about them. There's a school in that neighborhood, Belmont Street Community School. Some of us volunteered there when we were doing the working for Worcester. Almost 500 students, um, a struggling school, under resources, way overstressed. I'd love to see us develop a relationship with, with the uh, staff, the administration, the teachers, the students, the families of that school. There's a bunch of ways that we can do that. One of the things we're talking about doing, for example, at the beginning of the fall, beginning of the school year, is having a backpack drive where we collect backpacks, fill them with school supplies, and give them to the school to give out to students who in no way can buy them on their own. There's a bunch of other stuff we can do. We can help clean them up. We can help them develop better playground space. Those of you who saw the playground space, no, it's not a great playground space. There's a bunch of other stuff. We can continue to participate in the Worcester Area Prayer Movement for our city. We can... uh, Commit to the visible unity of the church and city by participating in a bunch of stuff that, that you'll be hearing about in the days and weeks to come. We can volunteer in the city in a bunch of different ways, from working for Worcester to Convoy of Hope, which we'll do again, uh, those kinds of things. We can provide leadership and resources. We can uh, offer hospitality and help to the refugees and immigrants of the city who really need help. They get they get initial group of resources, if you will, but then pretty quickly they're left on their own and a lot of them are floundering. And the church can make a difference in their lives. And they're coming from places where it's hard to be the church right now. The reason they're refugees is because they've been traumatized. They've been traumatized by where they lived and that trauma's still there. And they're here now and we can help them and as we help them, that will free up some of their resources to to, uh, help the folks back where they came from as well. And in the process, by the grace of God, some will come to know Jesus. We can continue and expand our outreach to the homeless in our city, get to know them as people, not just people to give sandwiches to. We can engage in city issues, like the community dialogues on race that are going on in the city right now, hosted by the Justice Department. We can continue to extend our partnership with COTN and with other missions agencies. 
There's a lot that we can do to be salt and light and a city on a hill in our city, in a region, in the world. And we can do this because God is in us and working through us. We can do this because we are blessed. And because we are blessed, we have something to bless others with. And we can do this if we are who we are. And we understand why we are. We can do this if we live what we are. Wherever and whenever we are. We can do this. Because God has showed us he can do it in and through us. So I am so excited about what the next months and years will bring for us as a church and as individuals. God has something for us that's beyond our imaginings. If we're open, if we're willing, God will blow our minds. He will do with us stuff that we only dream about, maybe not even have the courage to dream about. You are the salt of the earth. You are a city on a hill. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine so that the people around you may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm just so grateful for who you are and what you have done for me and for us. I'm so grateful that you didn't stay in heaven and just look down upon us and shake your head. You came in and got dirty in our midst and you saved us. You blessed us, you filled us, you healed us. Your work in us, you're doing things in our lives that we never would have imagined would, could be true. And Lord, thank you for what you're doing in us as a church. Thank you that, that you have brought us together as a body. Thank you that our church is just beginning to uh, demonstrate some of the diversity of our city. We want that to grow, but thank you for what you're doing. And thank you, Lord, that You've called us to be intimate friends with you and active partners with you in your mission to our community and to our world. What a privilege. Lord, even now, help us to dream big dreams, God-sized dreams, about what we can be and what we can do. Help us not to be afraid. Help us not to pull back. Help us to go for it. Help us to follow you wherever you want to take us. We ask all of this in your glorious, beautiful, powerful name, Lord Jesus. Amen.